So the first talk today at uh, Banter Yard for the second day is with Harry and Aoife from the Wit Relish podcast. Welcome to Banter Yard. Thanks Thank you very much for having us. us. Okay, let's, let's start with sort of like mean the, the, the who, what, why, how and when. When did Wit Relish start and why did it start? It started about a, a year a, and a half ago, yeah, was it? it was April 2017, I and think. You, well, okay, you didn't very specifically the, know the, what it was. Thereabouts. But yeah. the, I remember you were talking about it at the time because we were just, so myself and Aoife both work in the Fumbly Cafe. We're both cooks. And uh, we would spend a lot of our free time talking about food and going to the pub and talking a lot about food. And not just food on its own, but food and... Culture, cul- food and history. Why do we eat what we eat? Why is that thing called? How do you what tie in you? food into the rest of those things that you're interested in? Yeah. And Aoife was the one who was like, we should start a podcast because Swan has uh, access to a studio and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, yeah, sure. Everybody loves their own voice. Yeah. Of course we'll do a podcast, <laughs> like with no real intentions of doing it. Yeah. But then we got an incredible, uh, fortuitous email out of the blue from a pal, an old school pal of mine called Ian Doyle. And he's the producer of With Relish. And he just shot me a message and said, look, I'm starting to, I'm looking to start a food podcast. And I thought of you. Yeah. And the really nice thing about it was, I suppose the reason I wanted to do it was that, um, I love working in food, I love cooking food, but it, the communication can be incredibly direct. You could spend a whole day saying yes, no, move, service, uh, a bit smaller, a bit bigger. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, mm. it's very, very kind of, um, it's a very reduced vocabulary. And both myself and Harry uh, love talking. We're very curious people, I suppose. True that. And I think it was just an outlet for us to kind of dig a bit deeper into the stuff that we talk about in passing or that we'd be reading about but not necessarily sharing or exploring any further. So for us, it was that opportunity to dig quite deep into some of the subjects that we'd been just chit-chatting about. Yeah, exactly. It was just like learning more about the stuff that we already wanted to learn about. Yeah. Okay. So why a podcast? Because I mean, th- th- this, th- that's what I'm quite curious about as mm. well, because obviously there's been a lot of articles, a lot of blogs, and like me, a lot of kind of, obviously Instagram is full of people who love food and know food backwards, like showing their wares, but podcasting was different, is a different beast altogether. Yeah. Well, I guess um, that, that kind of hits an nail on the head because there's so much written content out there and kind of... And visual content as well. And, yeah, which and I like, would never want to do. Like, I have, like, no. can't take a picture for my life and yeah. writing's too much effort. Yeah, and <laughs> we just wondered, you know, you know, I like the idea of a podcast where it's very, um, it's very free. Um, you're not working really to anybody's schedule within reason. Um, and, you know, you're not working within a particular set, even of values, the way you might be within a, within a, a broadcaster. Um, so yeah, we just, it was much more of an opportunity kind of just to go off and do our own thing. And I think once we had the conversation with Ian, he told us that it would be whatever we wanted it to be. And we thought that's an absolutely whopper opportunity because I didn't want to review restaurants. I didn't really want to critique new places on the scene. Maybe a tiny bit of that, but not really. I'm much more, I think Harry and I are both much more interested in the in-depth kind of cultural aspect of food. Um, For so sure. Yeah, it just seemed like a really cool opportunity. And it just yeah. landed in our laps, Jim. And I th- we it, thought it, we'd be able to do it on our own. Not a chance. No way. Like, like, and then uh, this producer just turned up and said, want a food podcast? Uh, yeah. So like, yeah having, sure, okay. having worked with Ian now, you realise that there was no, like we may have gotten an episode or two done yeah. if we had done it by ourselves. But Blood, sweat, and tears. the amount of work that goes into, you know, at the start we were doing about three guests per episode and now we're kind of down to about two or sometimes one depending on what kind of a thing we want to do I think we're less rigid with our format now um, and we just kind of like make shows that we want to make and if there's a place for people to fit in it's not good but anyways like there's a huge amount of booking that goes on and trying to get people's schedules in place and there's just like a load of admin which we would never have been able to do no because we both we both work 
full time and then some, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. we're quite busy and physically busy and like not able to be on email or phones during the day, the most part. We were super naive to think that for a second mm-hmm. we would have been able to do a podcast. So a big shout out to our Thanks, boy Ian, Ian Doyle. Doyle. He's the bomb. <laughs> okay. Big up Ian Doyle. Yeah. So before, before we can start more about the podcast, let's go back to the Fumbly though. I mean, and the Fumbly in terms of Dublin food culture right now, it's the incubator. Yeah. It's kind of like, we, like I mean, what, what Luke and Ashley are doing there is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, they've kind of created this, I suppose, this kind of like this hub from which people like you have emerged, loads of people have emerged. Talk to me a little bit about like what attracted you to kind of Fumbly in the first place. Was it that philosophy? Was it the people? Or was it something else? Um, for me, it was definitely the, that philosophy. Like I only came to professional cooking three-ish years ago. Um, worked for a little while at a cafe in uh, Stony Batter and then saw that the Fumbly was hiring. And I just thought this is a huge, huge opportunity to cook um, without having to, you know, cook in a really creative way and at a pretty high level without having to go through those horrific ranks of military style, kind of very oppressive kitchen environments, which like as a woman in her 30s, I, I just wouldn't have been able to take that. You know, I'd worked in different industries before where your rights are respected and I don't think I ever could have gone up through those ranks. So the Fumbly kind of seemed to offer amazing food, really a really exploratory kind of yeah. way of cooking without having to work under a very harsh head chef. And, so, you know? and for me, I came up working for those very harsh head chefs. Yeah. I was in that environment for a few years. I went to college in Calbury Street and I trained there for four years and I was working the whole time and I was like a gigging chef working in restaurants around Dublin and a little bit in London and Spain as well. And so I was kind of working around in a load of different restaurants. And so it was this super intense, ridiculous environment. And I used to pretend that I loved it. And I suppose I did. It, you know, I did, I did in loads of ways. But then as time went on, I started doing a, I started kind of veering away from that. And I, I, I ran a pop-up restaurant with a friend of mine, Kuan Green, for two years. That was called Dublin Pop-Up. And, we were, and then you became our own boss. And that felt great. And then I realized that... I didn't want to go back into that system. And I knew the guys in Fumbly. Um, and I kind of went to them at the time. I thought about going to them at the time to say, uh, I'm looking for work at the moment. And do you guys know of anything that's going on? Not necessarily with them, but like, do you know of stuff that isn't the traditional thing, that isn't kind of very strict, rigid format? Because I'm, I'm not ready to go back into that and I don't want to. And they were just like, oh, just come here. And so yeah, yeah. they yeah. wanted you so much. Yeah. They were so thrilled when I you took the job. Them. Yeah, <laughs> we all wanted each other. I'm, I'm curious because I mean, you, you mentioned something that, that, that we discussed previously at, at Banter, another festival we did with uh, some people who were like, I mean, high level caterers, and they're also kind of involved. You, you mentioned there about a military operation in the kitchen, mm. Eva, and they're also involved with kind of army catering. And I was kind of asking them, like, why is it the situation that that, that chefing is so kind of rigid, it's so tough? And like they were kind of they were kind of scratching their heads, and they were, yeah. they, as far as they were concerned, it's almost like a, a military. Here's a military kind of thing. It, it follows the only that format. To, you know, yeah. Right? The brigade system, absolutely, yeah. The brigade system is taken directly from, apparently, the French military. Like, that's where it originated. Mm -hmm. Like, why is it? Because that's the way it developed, and people are really struggling to break out of it. Um, The format at the Fumbly shows that you can break out of that. Um, I don't think our kitchen, we joke about our kitchen being chaotic at the Fumbly. Yeah. It can be, but all kitchens are chaotic, in a way. Like I, I always find it really refreshing when I go to other kitchens, if I'm like if I'm doing a stint somewhere yeah. or if I'm helping somebody out and I go into their kitchens and I'm like, oh, we're actually in really good nick. Yeah. Do you know, exactly. you have to be reminded of that systems, even though we've know? got, even yeah. though we've got, you know, four or five full-time people who are, nobody, nobody is the head chef. Uh, we all take on the responsibilities of everything together. We run a really good ship. Yeah. And honestly, Jim, I think it is that just people are afraid to step out of that rigid system that was developed. I don't think that it works best that way. I really, really don't. I'm not super experienced in lots of different kitchens, but we get the stuff done, as Harry said to me yesterday, at the fumbly, we're at the, like the knife on the kind of edge between 
love and volume. We do such an amount of food, but we do put the love into it. And we we succeed like 99% of the time. We do a good job 99% of the time without a head chef and without somebody shouting at you and Mm. without permission to be abusive and all of those things. So, yeah, the reason that most, not even most, that a lot of kitchens, thank you. Thank you very much. The reason that a lot of kitchens are horrible to work in is because they always have been and nobody's thought to try and correct that. It's also the case that the reason why they've always been horrible is because they're so male-dominated as well. Is that another another army kind of like, I mean, throw over? I mean, I've come across some head chefs and owners of restaurants who are male and who are some of the coolest customers and are really determined to turn it into a more... Um, respectful environment for the staff and then I've heard of female head chefs who are pretty tough cookies but I always found it to be it's a macho thing it is I I always found it to be a super super macho place Uh, I am I'm gay and uh, was never out in kitchens as a younger cook Uh, they were extremely homophobic environments they were hostile they were horrific Um, and like the way they treated women and the way they talked about gay people was really really Mm. terrible and so that was not a felt like a safe space for me to like grow as myself in that space and I think that those systems are awful uh, and really prohibitive of creativity and all that yeah. stuff as well. you know like, like of all those things you really want to be having from your staff or from your cooks and like you know but the, the culture is such that they expect you to bleed and sweat and thank you for it yeah. and I used to be given I used to be working in these like crappy places and you'd be paying being paid peanuts you'd work like a 14 or 16 or 18 hour shift and you'd get 50 euro and at the end of it you'd be told that you were lucky to be there and you believed them and that was the system so it takes a while to kind of break you out of that and then when you do break out of that you look at the system and you think I have no idea why that works. Yeah. 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 I have no idea why And actually why it doesn't works. work because kitchens like that struggle to retain staff. Oh God, nobody and stays there. people who come out of kitchens like that have very little creativity. They just know how to follow a recipe that the head chef has shouted at them. You know, so it's actually not good for developing cook. Like you learn how to be very fast and very deferential and get things done really quickly, but not, you know, and maybe if kitchens were a little different to how they are, food would actually be a lot more interesting yeah. because people would be using their initiative and doing things they were excited about rather than working through fear. Yeah. You know? I, I often think as well that if, if the punters who go into your restaurants actually realise what ha- some restaurants realise what was going on like in the back of house, mm. they would be either horrified or like is the case of things like TV programs involving shouting people like like Rankin, you know, like that makes people inure to that. Um, I know of a lot of people. I, I spent some time at a very high end, a, a short time at a high end restaurant in oh, Dublin. Sorry, didn't that that I, sorry, I got, yeah. Uh, uh, What's the show? What's the Ramsey. Show's Ramsey. Ramsey. Yeah. Ramsey. Rankin's a nice guy. He's Rankin. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Rankin. Let's, let's, clarify, let's, clarify, let's clarify for the legal eagles. Yeah. This is his podcast. Rankin, Paul Rankin is a lovely guy. Yeah. <laughs> Ramsey Joe. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I spent a short period at a very high-end restaurant in Dublin that I won't name, but it was an extraordinarily abusive kitchen. And um, I mean, notoriously so. And customers walked out all the time. They walked out all the time and they lost. They could hear it in the dining room. They could room. hear it. They, they could hear, hear the foul language. The abuse. They could yeah. hear homophobic, racist, yeah. sexist abuse non-stop out of this head chef's mouth. Like just a stream of consciousness. And people just left. And they probably lost like a couple of grand a month for it. But he was just unchecked by the owners, you know. So mm. I don't think people buzz on that. I don't think they come in and think, oh, this is great. Crack. I don't know. I think I disagree. I think oh, they God, do. I so think that there's a really voyeuristic thing. And like there's this whole like the Gordon Ramsay thing of like looking at him. <laughs> like belittling people like that whole the whole premise of that show is that he a multi-Michelin starred chef goes into like a small cafe or somewhere that people who don't really know how to run a business and then he Destroyed. abuses yeah. them and says why aren't you as good as I am and then they're like because I'm not and then he doesn't accept that as an offer and says make your menu smaller stop crying 
and and then that's the show. And so that's so that's really entertaining. And so I think people kind of look at that, look at that, and say, "Oh, you're a chef." And you're like, "God, oh, you must get shouted that's at." That's how looking. you guys roll. Yeah, that's yeah, how you guys roll. And you're like, "Well, no, actually." But know. then there is like there's there's a more conscious approach to it now. I think you know. Perhaps it's lip service is the only thing I was going to say. Like, there's more of a narrative now around respecting the kitchen. They are tense environments. It's super hard to find staff at the moment, though. We're really, really rude to the server sometimes, and then we apologise and we move on with our day. Like, they're hyper-tense environments. Um, You're really hot. You are burning yourself regularly. You know, you're actually often in pain while you're working. And under mega pressure, and you haven't gone to the loo in like five hours, even though you want to. Like it's crazy. It's and then you have to remind yourself in those situations that it's just eggs. So, you know, yeah, this is just this lunch. Is lunch. This is just yeah. a salad. It's yeah. not. It's so just you have, in those situations when you're this about to surgery. blow your blow, yeah. not blow your load. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you're about to blow up. Such a great place to work. The phone. <laughs> let's, let's move away from eggs and let's move on. Let's move on to kind of like me with relish. Okay. Let's move on yeah. to the podcast. You, you said earlier on, Aoife, you were kind of saying like you wanted something where, which wasn't about critiquing new places. It wasn't about going down through the usual kind of like tried and tested topics that every single person who writes about food goes through. Mm. So. What, what, like me, like talk, let's, let's go through one episode in particular that kind of stood out for me, which was the, the, the visit to the New Beulies, the visit yeah. to what kind of going on. Talk a little bit about like, I mean, what was the planning behind that and why you decided to do that? Well, I kind of feel like the, the purpose of the podcast in a way is to capture um, what's going on in food in Ireland at the moment as much as possible and just kind of create that public record. Um, and like I said, not reviewing restaurants, but actually like, where are we at? Like what influences have come into Ireland in the last 10 years or so? And what, what are producers doing that they weren't doing before? Uh, the Beauties one, we like Beauties is a huge part of Irish food culture and history. Um, and when it was closed, it, like I felt like there was a huge hole mm. in the Irish, you know, in the mm. Dublin restaurant scene or the cafe scene. Um, it had gotten to a stage though at that time where it was a bit of a joke. I yeah, think in its in, right. in itself and its branding. And when it was gone, it was like, okay, bye. Do you know? I, I felt like they had gotten themselves into a situation where they maybe weren't as missed. Like they weren't missed. They were the butt of a joke, I think, for a long time. And then they came back with this almighty, like, okay, no, we are the Beauty's Oriental Cafe of like yesteryear. They lost their way. Yeah, I would say yeah. they were trying lots of new things to try and modernize and keep up. And I totally appreciate that. And I'm just so glad that somebody somewhere had the brainwave to go, let's bring it back as mm. it always was but just better, you know, mm. with table service um, and like an improvement in the acoustics because it was always such a clattery place, although I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, but the idea to bring it back. So in terms of the, the planning and so on, I mean, again, the wonderful Ian Doyle um, looks after those things for us, but it was something that we You had gone out really, there with your mum. Yeah. You had gone for a tea with your mum. And right. I had separately gone with two people from work. We went for a cup of tea and a slice of cake. And then separately we had done this thing and we were like, isn't Beauty's great again? And then it, it's, as, it's as much as that where we both connect on something. We go, okay, then we'll see if we can make a yeah. show. And yeah. And we were really excited yeah. about it. Um, yeah. I think I just, when I'd gone in and seen how well they'd preserved like the stained glass and, and various bits of the kind of inter- infrastructure of the place, I just thought this is like... This is such an unusual spot in Dublin mm. city centre and it deserves a sort of a, a walk around and a description of what's yeah. going on. Yeah, it was a nice one. And then, yeah, lovely calm, um, fed us full of cake and far too much coffee. And yeah. I think we just had a wonderful it was time. Coffee is, coffee is bad for podcasters. Coffee is always bad for podcasters. Yeah. I think we did an so. episode on coffee once and I drank too much coffee before it and oh, I could hear buzzed. when I listened back yeah. I was speaking at about three times the normal pace of my voice. Yeah. 
I have, I I have manic. I have to say, I talk fast, but the two of you talk faster than I do. Oh, yeah. sorry. <laughs> We're in a kiddie split, all right. <laughs> I, I, I wonder if this, there's something that, that's kind of struck me. You, you're talking there about, like, I mean, the Irish food culture right now, and you, you're both kind of experienced hands when it comes to kitchens, you know? What do, what do you think, both of you, regarding kind of the Dublin restaurant scene right now? I'm not talking about the critiques of individual places, but I'm talking about the economics of things right now. When you've got a group like the Press Up Group kind of moving oh. in, when you've got the situation where you cycle from, like, down Camden Street into sort of Great George Street, and you're, fi- you're, you're, you're passing five different burger chains. Mm. Like, I mean, it seems to me that there's this rapid re-up of what's going on in the city. There seems to be a lot, a lot of moves going in, but it seems to me that all the food offerings seem to be kind of like aimed at a certain niche selection of a slice of the population, and that's it. Um, yeah, I would agree with you on that, and I think that... Um I don't know. I think it's a very prohibitive place, Dublin, in to, for, for new independent businesses without massive funding to open up. Uh, I think that companies like PressUp uh, are just buying up all of the land and putting in place a kind of homogenous thing which, stuff, of, yeah. of like fast casual mm. yuppie stuff. Um, and, and that's who's being fed. And so, and so I, myself and Eva will often talk about the kind of places that we like to eat. And like, we like to eat a lot around Parnell Street separately. Like we li- like to go to uh, Capel Street and there's like yeah. lots of like small places in the basement, somewhere like that, somewhere you can find something that is yeah. unique yeah. as opposed to a Wow Burger, which yeah. is like a grand burger, don't get me wrong, but also they're everywhere and we already, we're done with burgers, come on. Yeah, um, no, I agree. It's a total parallel track at the moment. So there's a sort of, a, you know, um, the, I suppose... Uh, rebirth of the economy uh, has been played out in the restaurants around town. Relatively average stuff um, where you pay a good amount of money. Now, in fairness, they're paying crazy rent and rates um, restaurants around town. But also for me, like the, the independent places around Capel Street in particular and are where there's good value and really interesting food and, and a lot to learn about other food cultures. And what I do think that we have a very good scene in Dublin is an independent coffee scene. Uh, and that is worth something. And it, I think that it's often really difficult when somebody says, where should I go for dinner tonight? I'm like, I don't know actually where you should go for dinner, yeah. but I can't tell you where you should go for lunch. Um, and so there's a lot of people who are, uh, there's a lot more space, I think, for creativity and uh, freedom in the cafe scene at the moment. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that, I think coming from the Fumbly or from a cafe yeah. background, but I look at the scene at the moment, I'm like, okay, so these are, yeah. we don't have a Costa on every corner. There is a lot of people who are doing the, their own thing. There are big pockets of Dublin now. Yeah. We were just chatting before we came here about um, how Fibsborough now has two nice cafes, you know, nice cafes offering proper meals during There's the two day. two boys and legit. And yeah. legit yeah. now have opened there. Legit started out on Meath Street. And, you know, I mean, they're not reinventing anything, but they're offering good food from good provenance, you know, well prepared um, and like really tasty and interesting. And it's it's lovely to see that. So daytime eating in Dublin is pretty cool at the yeah. moment and they're nice spaces where you can spend while away a few hours if you've some work to do or, or a bit of time to kill so yeah it's, it's not too bad but yeah it's not too bad during the day but like mm. I, I'm curious then about like I mean, what happens with all the people who are kind of like coming through the Fumbly Academy, Academy of Excellence where they go next you know that like I mean are, are, are rents so prohibitive that they can't actually move open the summer in Dublin in city centre are they moving to Burbs is there more is there more hope for kind of like Fizzworth is Cabra going to be the next hotspot are we going to get that kind of situation that was rampant in cities like New York and London where you, where next thing you know okay well that next borough is where it's at it feels exactly that it feels like Fibsborough and North Sector Road are kind of where it's now going to be at. That's Which what is where I live, so I'm delighted. <laughs> um, Do you know, when you're looking at these places and you think that, we're, like, yes, it feels like we're just growing out into the burbs now and Stony Batter has been et up and that's yeah. 
done and that's expensive and now they've moved up to the North Circular Road and it feels like it's going that way and then on the south side it's moving off into Irish Town and Rings End now there's more of that stuff which is creeping in there so it feels like it is the city is just swallowing up those old suburbs which mm. is great because like Dublin city centre has always been a slightly bland space mm. it's not it's not a lived in space in the way you'd find somewhere like Lisbon or in, in Berlin um, you've got you know the, 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 we don't have lots of nice apartments in the middle of the city so it's actually really nice to see that for most of us who do live like around the canal areas on both mm. sides of town um, that there are loads of options mm. opening up to eat and to speak to your question as to whether um, people coming out of the Fumbly can afford to kind of pursue their dreams I suppose uh, I can't believe how inventive some of the people we've worked with in the past are the tiny spaces they'll work out of mm. to, to make it happen like we Scale Bakery we Scale Bakery absolutely, absolutely we had doing them. amazing food from a box. They know. started out. They started out on a farm in Glasnevin, yeah. um, and they were wearing a prefab like there. A prefab. They've now moved to yeah. um, the North King Street site. What's exactly. It uh, it's an incubation. I can't yeah. remember what it's called, but it's gone now. But it doesn't you matter. Guys. Yeah. Um, and uh, then Marek, uh, who's a pizza maker, he started. He just invested in a like three thousand euro pizza oven that's on wheels. Yeah. And so he's doing what he can forever, where he can. You know. Yeah. So and then uh, Keith as well, Keith Coleman, who went off to set up Fia. Yeah. Um, he went off there and he's now moving around as a chef in residence kind of a travelling chef yeah he's yeah, a travelling yeah. chef so yeah. he's yeah, he's in West Cork at the moment yeah. um, working down in Glib Gardens and so that's where he is. so you know people are honestly they're they're doing some of the best food in Ireland out of a like three by three metre space yeah. and you have to like you have to admire that and it's something you would only ever do if you care so much about the product because those working environments are not lovely you know mm. it'll be hot and crowded totally and uncomfortable and you do it for 12 hours a day or whatever because you're just so passionate about so, it so hopefully I think I think that there was a great surge of creativity during the crash uh, and I think that a lot of restaurants were forced to check themselves and mm. I mean I can't believe Shanahan survived it but like to be selling steak for that kind of money loads of other places didn't survive that um, and and uh, and there was this, there was, I think there was a surge of stuff that was going on at the time. I think Katie Sanderson uh, yeah. came out at that time and she was mm. doing her living dinners. And then Kevin Powell, who's now of Meet Me in the Morning and Loose Cannon, he was doing Gruel Gorilla. He was serving stuff out of his house. And there was like a scene of stuff that was going on because, because, because that was, there was the culture. There was like, there was room for that. And I'm kind of hopeful that with this kind of, you know, large monopoly of property and businesses going on in Dublin, that's going to force people to be creative again. Yeah. And that we're going to see people come up with cool stuff and maybe not in the middle of Dublin 8 maybe a little further out you know where rents are a bit more affordable but happy days for the people who live a bit further out because that's nearly everyone you know moving back to the podcast and what's what's been the reaction from listeners to like various topics you've covered what's been the most popular topic you've covered have people come back to you about topics like say like you covered Ramadan for example Mm -hmm. you covered uh, chippers you covered mental mental health as well are they issues that kind of like mean like push people's buttons the mental health issue uh, episode got the greatest response as far as I'm aware in terms terms of posts on the Facebook page and, oh, okay. um, and so on. Yeah, I think that that seemed to kind of resonate with people a lot because it's, I suppose, a slightly unexpected topic, even though it's completely relevant. Um, we split that one into two where we talked about, you know, food that you can eat um, to um, promote better mental health, but then also mental health in kitchens, the stuff yeah. we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so people seem to, I yeah, I think that got a mention in, in Image magazine, random. Oh, like that, yeah, just okay. That people were maybe a bit moved by it and glad that there was an honest conversation around how brutal an industry it can be to work in. And then also just like we had a dietitian talking about helpful things you can do for your own mental well-being uh, through your diet. So I, I thought that one was... That was a good one. Another yeah, one that we got a good well. reaction to was our 
food debate that we hosted in the Fumbly Cafe last year. It was a live podcast show that we did, and it was with Martin McAnumra, who was a lecturer in DIT called yeah, yeah, Street, yeah. and then it was JP McMahon from Anir in Galway and the Irish Times now. And, uh, <laughs> and, and food the edge. Yeah, food <laughs> the edge, exactly. Yeah, man with many strings to his bow. And so we sat, we spoke a lot about Irish food culture there. And I remember we got an email from somebody afterwards, and she was an American who married an Irish person, and she was like, you made sense of Irish food culture to me because I made this incredible Thanksgiving dinner and everybody came over and they ate it and then left straight away and she was like oh, heartbroken wow. she's like why weren't we sitting around the table talking for Giving ages thanks. and she, yeah and so she said from that show she was like oh crap they're yeah. they're new to food culture we in are a way. new yeah. to yeah. relaxing over yeah. food we're still yeah. a bit ashamed yeah. Yeah. of food we're still a bit embarrassed to take pleasure in food um and to say wow this is exquisite this is so sensual like people are like that's me <laughs> don't do that that's not, we're not italian that's not how we roll lay off okay but yeah so i think we're still a bit squeamish and we've actually yeah. like that's a subject we kind of keep coming back to various uh, via various routes like we did a we did an episode on Fish, where we looked into why Irish people are so like still repulsed by fish, yeah. even though it's delicious and it's very, very, very available. available to us here and nutritious and all those good things. And it is because we see it as penance, we see it as punishment. And I think actually we we still have that approach, not we necessarily in this room, but Irish people still have a little bit of a hang up around just taking pleasure in things or being seen mm. to take pleasure. And food is absolutely way up there. Yeah. You know? It's mental. It's like we, everything was, everything sort of comes back in a way to kind of like Catholic guilt. It comes yeah. back to kind of like I mean, the fact that like we had we, like large proportions of the, of the population associate eating fish with kind of like I mean, fasting on a Friday yeah. or with Lent or, or with Easter or whatever. And like it, 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 even in terms of housing, you know, remember we, we, we had a fascinating discussion about housing in Dublin. And one reason why all the houses in Dublin, the housing estates, were built the way they were, were built was down to Archbishop Charles McQuaid and mm. what he wanted in terms of like how the, basically the architecture was going to look. You know, it's incredible. Like the more conversation you have, the more you realize yeah. this is this kind of like I mean this running sore yeah. yeah and nothing is predetermined in culture and I think that's what we really enjoy about the podcast that we get a chance to like pick at these things that just seem normal mm. and you realise they're actually not like when you take when you take them in isolation why does an island nation like Ireland not really embrace fish that's really weird mm. you know if yeah. you look and, and there's a really specific reason for it so that's one of the lovely things about it instead of just chitting, ch- chitty chatting about yeah. these things in the kitchen while we're doing eggs and lunches you get um, to explore them and, we get to and invite knowledgeable it. people on to tell you to about explain it, it yeah. and yeah. make sense of it for us so it's in, we in, ter- in, terms of those, in terms of those guests uh, like I mean who have you found that you kind of go okay we're going to keep going back to that person I mean you mentioned people that are shaping man you mentioned mm. Martin McNamara they've both been on it twice yeah yeah Ethan McElwain as well is another good friend Friend of yeah. the podcast. Um, she's just very, these people are always just so broadly knowledgeable. It's almost like out of laziness, we nearly always reach them. And we're like, yeah, no, there no must you can't. You have to find there. somebody else because they're, they're so, yeah. yeah, they're kind of our main guys because they, like us, take the big broad picture. And yeah, JP is um, writing this book about 10,000 years of, or 8,000 years of Irish food history. So they're the kind of folks who you know you're going to get the goods out of, you know, yeah. people who take this big broad view of food rather than just what's hot at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, like, I mean, you're, you're doing something at the podcast festival. In September. What's the plan for that? Oh, that's going to be really fun. Actually. I'm really looking forward I to that. Wait. We are so I don't really think we have a date for it yet, but 10th of October actually. Oh, we, we do. Never mind. Oh, we were swimming in the sea. I while missed I was a meeting. <laughs> um, but so we're going to be having. Uh, like a round table uh, of the provinces and we're going to invite one food person from each province to come and bring with them the best of their province and the, the trashiest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, sublime and ridiculous food culture ridiculous. from the four 
province yeah. pretty much um, I think it's going to be really really great, great crack um, yeah. when we did a similar event last year for the podcast festival it was fabulous but it was quite serious we want this one to be a bit lighter fun yeah a bit fun. daft and yeah. then we, we're going to have a small audience of maybe I think the 30 t- the and we're going to try and get them to vote on which province the wins, tone of our podcast know? is always light yeah and it's always chat and it's we never like even when we're talking about mental health like we're we're still trying to be light about that and we're not going I, I, I don't know it's just it's just the way we are I think we're yeah. just not necessarily yeah. very um, we serious from people. serious to yeah. silly very very and so I think that this know. is going to be more our buzz and we're going to be upstairs in the Fumbly Stables as opposed to in the Fumbly Cafe and it's this beautiful room and it's going mm. to be a much nicer setting than the last I think the last one was good but I'm really looking forward to this one I suppose one. We, we chatted last week about how this uh, it was brand new to us and the podcast was brand new to mm. us um, this time last year and um, we're really excited now about kind of mm. building on what we did last year and, and making it a really fun experience. Yeah. Mm. I'm almost curious about this. We talk to people who are like being creating media, you know, and like how far ahead, like being the you and Ian kind of plan things. Do you have a, do you have a wish list of kind of stuff that you haven't got to yet? Like, yes, we definitely do have a wish list of stuff that we haven't gotten to yet. We try and meet up every once in a while and think ahead. At the moment, we're hand to mouth. Yeah. And like when an episode is made, we're like, okay, we got to get that one up. But yeah. we can, we time to get them in the bank after a while. If we're doing well, we'll record on Mondays and we might get a guest in and we'll split them up over uh, like a couple of, we'll try and get like a part of one show recorded in one day and you get the rest of them done in the same day. And then you can kind of build them up and have them in the bank for a rainy day or for when we go on holidays yeah. and stuff. But we're very hand to mouth at the moment. And I mean, I have four jobs at the moment, mm. you know, not counting yeah. the podcast. We're just, we're both really, really busy. Ian's really busy. Yeah. He's yeah. got a full-time job now and he's doing this. It's such a labor of love and we will keep doing it. Totally. We, we absolutely love doing it, but it's like grabbing studio time wherever we can yeah. or grabbing an interview with somebody yeah. wherever we can. Um, but yeah, we'll keep on keeping on because it's, it's great crack yeah. and it's such a nice way to use our time. Excellent stuff. Well, thank you very much for coming out to Sunday and joining us today. Thank you very much, Harry. Thanks, Rotifa. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Thank you so much.